welcome to this week's Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and NHS Somerset Clinical Lead for Mental Health, and I'm delighted to be joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Kate Staveley, also a GP and the Associate Clinical Director for Women and Children at Somerset. And we're very pleased this week to be joined uh, by our guest, Leslie Harper, uh, with a, a fascinating and enigmatic title of Metabolic Health and the Survival Suite. So, Leslie, tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, what you're talking to us today. Okay. So, uh, yeah, my name's Leslie Harper and I'm a registered dietitian. And my current role is with Somerset uh, NHS uh, ICB, where I lead, I'm the project officer lead for the type 2 diabetes path to remission program, which is formerly uh, the low calorie diet program, uh, sort of 12 month intensive program designed to support people to put their diabetes into reverse. Um, and and yeah, I've been, I've been a community dietitian prior to that um, for about for about 15 years. Tell me a little bit about your interest in what do you call it the survival switch what is it so uh, a survival switch so I kind of I stumbled across this um uh, quite recently um I guess I I, I had the um uh, five-year results that came out for um the remission program and although um the results were okay. They're the best results we have um, in terms of how many rep- people remained in remission after five years. They were quite low, and I guess I, I, I you know, I knew that different diets worked for different people. Um, but often, one thing that always puzzled me was uh, why do people struggle in the long term? Why do people regain the weight? And so I was, I was, I was doing this research. It was actually um, in preparation for a presentation at the. Re- recent uh, annual diabetes study day um, and I guess what I saw in Somerset was I saw quite a lot of division um, and confusion about nutritional messages and and there seemed to be a couple of camps there seemed to be the the low carb camp and the traditional kind of you know uh, national guidelines uh, camp and and then I I saw our patients uh, quite confused in the middle um, often sure you know unsure about what to do uh, you know what's good what's bad um, and so that kind of led me on to uh, researching because I like to do I like to do a lot of research when I do a presentation and make sure I know my stuff and then I, I stumbled upon upon the work of um, a professor um, Professor Richard Johnson and he's a, a leading nephrologist um, in in Utah in the USA and um, and he's done a lot of work in in animals. And um, and basically what he's found is that a lot of animals in the wild um, have uh, what we call a survival switch. Um, so, for example, um, and th- th- this this survival switch is basically it's a, a it's kind of an evolutionary mechanism that enables us to survive at times of food shortage, um, water shortage, uh, stress. Um, uh, low oxygen level conditions um, and you know lots of animals use it Um, and you know for example the hummingbird uses it so the hummingbird has one of the fastest metabolisms in the world it's got a heart rate of about 1260 beats per minute and in order for it to survive um, it eats very frequently and it eats a lot of nectar and nectar is pure fructose 
And what that does is it kind of switches on this um, survival switch in the hummingbird where the hummingbird becomes insulin resistant. Um, it develops diabetes by the evening and and then, yeah, and then it, uh, overnight it will fast. Um, so it, it becomes insulin resistant to preserve glucose for the brain. And, and overnight it, it kind of fasts, it uses up that glucose reserves, and then it returns to normal the next day. And, and that's how the, the hummingbird survives, um, which, is, which is quite interesting. Now, you used a very interesting phrase there, insulin resistance, which is something I think you and I know about, but a lot of people maybe aren't aware of it. Can you explain what it is and why it's so important and why it's tied to so many different diseases, including probably heart disease and diabetes? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, basically it kind of um, so in order when we when we eat a food, um, we we usually get energy from that food. Um, and and that energy is then delivered to our muscles and our cells to be used. So so you know even when we're even when we're resting, um, we're 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 using that energy, and um, and basically what insulin we require insulin to be able to use that energy for it to get into the muscles and cells um sometimes the term like a lock and a key is used so insulin's a bit like the key that opens up the door to that muscle and then that energy can come in and be used and then we can get our energy to go out our, our daily living um, and i guess what insulin resistance is um is uh basically where we don't we we can't use that insulin effectively um so the insulin doesn't doesn't work properly um or we're not producing enough insulin as well and so the energy the energy basically can't then get to that cell um and so as a result um it's it's kind of it's kind of shut down effectively and most people think of insulin as the injection that people with type 1 diabetes need. But we're talking here, aren't we, about the insulin that, that, that our bodies produce in response to having sugar. Um, and, and I think there's a, a school of thought that says that if we have too much sugary food a lot of the time, we produce too much insulin and then our body stops being able to use it. Is, is that right? So, uh, so not necessarily, it's, it's about, I think it's about the type of, the type of um, energy that we have in our diet that seems to activate this switch. So it's actually, so um, Professor Johnson's work, um, he, he does a lot of work and he's looked, he's looked at how bears use it. Um, so if I give an example, perhaps of the bear, that might be helpful. So the bear, um, uh, before it goes into hibernation, um, it, so when um, so bears eat generally berries, and as the as the autumn comes, the berries ripen, and the vitamin C levels in the berries drops quite significantly. And bears don't just eat a handful of berries; they eat a lot of berries. Um, and I, I want to make this message clear that I do not think berries are bad. So that's just something I want to highlight before I start off here, in case that message gets um, you know misinterpreted. Um, but it's the fructose which is in the berries which seems to activate this switch in the animals, um, just like the nectar in the hummingbird, that's pure fructose. And what this fructose does, so if you think of um, uh, 
so glucose is kind of uh, the energy we use, um, sort of the present energy and fructose, if you think of as the future energy. So it's kind of a, a, a unique nutrient that helps us store energy for future use. And what it does in the bear is when they eat a lot of fructose, it activates this switch. Um, and basically, fructose is quite unique in that it's metabolized very quickly. And it's because of its metabolism that what happens is it seems to lower ATP in the mitochondria, which are our kind of energy factories. And, and that's how it seems to activate the switch. And so that's a survival switch for animals. Yeah. What goes wrong in humans then? What goes wrong in humans? So, um, so well, we think we think it's along the similar lines. So um, this switch that is activated in in animals. So, um, for example, so when the switch is activated with the bear. Um, it causes this lowering of energy. It then causes um, a foraging mechanism in the bear. And this is via insulin resistance of the brain. So actually it wants it wants the bear to go out and find food um, and it wants the bear to, to store food and store it as fat. So um, as it lowers this energy in the mitochondria, the energy that the bear then eats is shunted to the liver and it's then stored as fat around the body. Um, and um, and then what happens is the foraging mechanism is triggered where um, the bear becomes insulin resistant in parts of the brain and it actually causes them to become leptin resistant. And I, you might be familiar with leptin, but it's one of the hormones that helps us to regulate our appetite. And so the bear loses its ability to um, it loses that kind of feeling of fullness, so it wants to go out and eat and eat eat more food. So, so you're saying the bear goes out, eats lots of berries with the fructose in. Because of the berries, it makes the bear want to eat more and more and more food. That food is then stored as fat in their liver. Yes, and it also affects the hormone. So the the, the hormone that tells them they're hungry makes them feel even hungrier. So they they want to go out and store more fat. And I can see that's an advantage for a bear who's going to go and hibernate in a cave for the next six months. But what does that do to people? Yeah, what does it do to people? So I guess if you think about it, um, if if we were short of food um, and or, sh or, or short of water, then this would be a very good mechanism to enable us to survive um, if we if food was in short supply. However, it's not in short supply. And these days it's in abundance and we have lots of fast food around us. Um, we have lots of processed foods um, and, and therefore with an abundance of these, what, what this proposal is about this survival switch potentially being in humans is, could it be that we have activate, we activate this switch, but because we have an abundance of food, actually it then goes on to lead to what we now know as metabolic syndrome. So you better unpack metabolic syndrome for our listeners, please. And while you're doing that, can I just, you used a, a, an acronym earlier, ATP, that's adenosine triphosphate, which is uh, an enzyme used in the, the energy cycle in the body, isn't it? So tell us about metabolic syndrome and why it's important. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, metabolic, uh, the term metabolic is uh, chemical changes that happen in living cells. And and the syndrome part refers to kind of signs that signs and symptoms that happen, which kind of define a sort of abnormality or condition. And in I guess in the current sort of terminology, we that sort of definition of metabolic syndrome, it's usually when people have three or more of those conditions um, that we commonly see. So uh, conditions like IB, uh, obesity, uh, raised triglycerides, um, low HDL, increased blood pressure, insulin resistance and, and high blood glucose levels. And we better just unpack again. Uh, <laughs> so HDL is high density lipoprotein. Yes. Um, it's one of the cholesterols and lipo uh, you mentioned, I think, lipoproteins, which are another type of fat in the body. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 And we've got good fats and bad fats, haven't we? And we've got good fats and bad fats. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So metabolic syndrome, we know, is one of the, the main causes of ill health through heart disease, high blood pressure, um, and and indeed things like dementia that people may not think of being linked to that um yes. but it, it's one of the the unknown killers in this country so do you want to tell us a little bit more about the the effects it can have and why it's so damaging and why we should try and avoid it yeah i mean uh, it's it, it's it's becoming more and more common um particularly since the 1900s um and and i think um we can we can look back at history and see what's happened to our diet since since then and it's has changed a lot it seems to correlate with an increase in all these conditions um and yeah they're often you know uh debilitating conditions um and yeah people don't just have one of them they tend to have a, a cluster of these symptoms um and they really affect their their quality of life um you know i was i was listening to an interesting podcast by peter retire the other day and he was talking about how Years ago, we used to die a, a fast death. So it would usually be trauma or it would be a virus of some sort. Um, uh, whereas now uh, we die a slow death. So we're, we're living longer and we've, you know, things have advanced, uh, medicine's advanced. Um, but, you know, we we don't necessarily live a good, you know, a long quality of life with a good quality of life. Um, and I think these conditions, which, which, which make up a huge, you know, proportion of our, you know, our health issues, um, are, are all kind of linked with they all, they all form part of this syndrome. I was very interested to hear both you and Peter refer to dementia alongside diabetes, obesity, and hypertension. What what's the link with dementia? Yeah, so uh, so dementia. There's been some recently uh, sort of uh, a sort of general consensus that dementia or Alzheimer's is um, now uh, to be um, kind of reclassified as type three diabetes. And that's because the the evidence um, kind of points to insulin resistance of of the brain, um, where parts of the brain um, kind of uh, don't get enough enough energy. I think that, that that's what it's. Um, yeah. We're maybe slightly going off topic, but dementia is 40 percent preventable with lifestyle changes. And and certainly that avoidance of metabolic syndrome is, is one of the prime ways that we can reduce our risk of dementia. Can I wind back a bit, Leslie? You mentioned fructose and yes. that's fruit sugar. And the message is that we should eat more fruit and veg, five portions of fruit and veg a day. 
are we are we getting it all wrong no, uh, no, 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 absolutely not. Fruit, fruit is good, and I really want to highlight that. So, uh, fructose is actually uh, it's a component of table sugar. So, uh, sugar that we have, um, uh, which is in many, many foods today, um, is actually it's a it's a disaccharide molecule. It's made of glucose and it's made of, of fructose. Um, the the research in animals shows that actually fruit has lots of benefits. Fruits ha- fruit has um, fiber. I'm talking whole fruit here, not fruit juice, um, but whole fruit has fiber. It has antioxidants. Um, uh, for example, vitamin C and vitamin C is one of these antioxidants in particular that seems to protect against this mitochondrial damage in the animals. So I think whole fruit is a completely different ball grain. Um, fruit, we need to bear in mind as well that fruits have kind of been mod- modified over time um, and some of them have become sweeter over time. Um, so I, you know, I generally try and advocate, you know, the, the fruits that are um, sort of, you know, grown in this country, um, generally the tropical fruits are, are much sweeter. Um, and if people are interested, David Unwin, uh, if you just type into a search engine, David Unwin Infographics, he will give the sugar equivalents of different fruits. So generally berries come out well, ripe bananas less well. I don't know what you yeah. think of that equivalence yeah, of to some extent, yeah. Although I, I don't think we need to worry too much about the fruit, the the sugar that's in our fruit. Um, I think we need to focus more on the um, the processed foods um, that are in abundance, and and also the fact that refined carbohydrates um, uh, seem to activate the switch in animals. Um, you know that that's worth bearing in mind. So we're not just talking about fructose on its own, sugar on its own. We're talking about easily accessible sugars from food. And that includes the simple different carbohydrates. When you say carbohydrates, what do you mean by carbohydrates? Uh, so carbohydrates, um, yeah, are basically uh, sort of uh, long kind of chains of, um, of of glucose, basically, that provide us with energy. Um, but carbohydrates have changed quite a lot over the past 120 years in particular. Um, so, for example, there's a lot of evidence that whole grains, um, true whole grains, um, for example, uh, whole grain rice, um, uh, buckwheat, uh, oat groats, um, uh, quinoa, millet, all those sort of ancient grains that we used to eat have become very refined over time. And so, um, and, and because of that, yeah, a lot, a lot of the carbohydrates that we are now very refined in our diet and we actually make fructose, we can make fructose from, you know, potentially make fructose from those foods as well. And that's really interesting because, again, the consensus of dietary advice has been have less fats to protect your heart. And, and so if you have less fats, you tend to have more carbohydrates. So do you think we've been getting the balance a bit wrong, Leslie? Yeah, I think I think, you know, when you look back at the seven countries study, which was the Ansel Keys study, which um, uh, looked at various sort of cohorts and links with uh, coronary heart disease um there were there were real differences in the fat intake and so um i think you know potentially yes that's where we may have gone wrong 
um, certainly that there is evidence that saturated fat does increase the risk of metabolic diseases. However, plant-based fats like olives, nuts and seeds, um, there's actually good evidence, you know, out there to say actually they seem to be protective. Um, so I think we need to bear, you know, bear that in mind. But yeah, when we cut down on total fat, um, fat adds flavor to food. Um, fat actually slows the glycemic response. And so, yeah, so I, I kind of think maybe maybe we did get that wrong. Um, and actually, we should be focused on more of the more of the plant based fats. And I suppose if you go back to the story about the bear as well, yeah. it was the carbohydrate made him want to eat more carbohydrates, whereas fats yeah. don't have the same effect. So on the whole, you can't eat too much fat because your body doesn't crave it. Whereas if you eat carbohydrates and particularly sugary carbohydrates, then your body craves more and more of it. And you don't just don't know when to stop. And that's yeah. not a lack of self-will. That's because your hormones are telling you eat more carbohydrates to get ready to hibernate. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting part with the bear is that the, the foraging mechanism that I talked about, the insulin resistance, so um, as well as uh, switching off that ability to regulate appetite, what it also da does is it has an effect on the willpower part of the brain where it dampens down the willpower because it doesn't want the bear to switch this off because actually it's a survival mechanism. It wants it to go out and get fat. It increases impulsivity in the bear because the bear's got to make quick decisions. It's got to have rapid assessment. You know, it, it's got to go into places. It's got to think quickly. Um, so it can't be weighing up decisions. So it encourages risky behavior in the bear. Um, and it also encourages exploratory behavior in the bear where the bear's got to be quite quite creative because um, it might need to go into areas where it hasn't been before and also what's really interesting and this is where the um, the research recent research on um, Alzheimer's is quite fascinating is it reduces short-term memory in the bear as part of this foraging mechanism and that's because if the bear went into a place before to forage if it had a bad encounter say it encountered a predator it would need to forget that experience to be a successful forager so it actually reduces the short-term memory in the bear which is really fascinating and the same thing seems to happen in humans people with early alzheimer's uh who reduce carbohydrates uh their short-term cognition improves doesn't it well so i don't think it's about the amount of carbohydrate i think that's why these things probably work in the short term for some people if you think about it um animals in the wild naturally regulate their weight um, humans used to naturally regulate their weight up until the late 18th, early 19th century. Um, and actually, I don't, I don't think, you know, there's lots of diets out there. And I think everyone could find a diet that worked for them in the short term. All those diets have one common theme that runs through them. They all reduce sugar and they all reduce refined carbohydrates. And I think actually, although people might argue, oh, well, you know, you can have a ketogenic diet. A ketogenic diet is a very difficult diet to do. And actually, not many people manage it in the long term. And I think although the brain can function with ketones, I don't think, you know, the I think the brain's primary fuel is glucose. And I, I think if you feed it slow carb, um, I, you know, I, I think, yeah. I, I, that that's my view of it. I don't think we need to you know, count carbohydrates as such. It's about balance. So, Leslie, you've you've given us a, a fascinating insight from 
science and uh, nature and history uh, about diets and why we are where we are and some of the things that are good and bad. There's there's much conflicting information out there, there um, including some that, that's commercially driven. Can you distill down the advice that you've learned from all these different things that you've read that that give us a simple guide as as to what we should be eating, what our, our health eating is to to yeah. improve our chances of living a, a long and active life? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, firstly, I would say drinking plenty, um, drinking plenty of water um, is 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 really key, um, and non non sugary flu- fluids. Um, I think the other core messages are uh, reducing our reducing our intake of uh, processed foods, um, uh, sugar and 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 processed foods, um, particularly. Um, a, yeah, re- refined foods um, in particular. Um, and I think uh, fruits and vegetables, I think fruits and vegetables are good. Um, I think they have lots of protective elements in them. I think uh, actually when you look at um, uh, our diets, um, we get about, we get at least 40% of our energy from refined foods, at least 40%. So that that's certainly an area we could work on. Um, and I think we need to look at um, the benefits of whole grains and um, uh, beans, pulses and lentils in our diet. I think they are really important. They're where the evidence has has always really sat is that these seem to have benefits. Um, but I think it's that definition of what a whole grain is that can often be you know, a bit confusing for people. And I heard a, an interesting expression the other day, you should only eat food that looks like what it was meant to be. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, if it's refined and you can't recognize where it came from, perhaps don't eat it. Yeah, definitely. Refinement leads to a massive loss of fiber. Um, we know the gut microbiome is is kind of interlinked with all of this um, and interlinked with our brain. Um, and when we refine a grain, we take out that really important outer layer, um, which is the, the fibrous layer. It has lots of phytochemicals. Um, it has lots of nutrients. And, and then what we do is um, we, we then add in vitamins so they become fortified instead. Whereas I think if we have the whole grain, um, for anyone who measures their blood glucose levels, if you eat a whole grain, it's very different to a refined grain. And does that apply to children as well as adults? Because people often say, oh, you mustn't interfere with the carbohydrate intake of children. They need their energy. Yeah, I I think they need their energy. um, But I think they need, you know, I think whole food. I think the more whole food we have in our diet, um, the better. And um, and more, yeah, uh, beans, lentils and pulses as well, um, I think are really important. They've got lots of nutrients in them and we don't have enough of them in our diet. We have very few. Um, Leslie, that's you've shared a wealth of information with us. Thank you so much for all sharing right. all the research that you've done. And I, I think the, you know, there's a huge complexity behind it, but the actual message that you leave us with is is a very clear and simple one, and 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 that's absolutely great. So thank you very much indeed for your time today, Kate and Leslie. Any last words you want to leave us with? Um, 
Yeah, so uh, we're at the moment in Somerset, we're developing a number of resources um, to support uh, primary care um, with just these core messages, basically. I think they're they're really simple messages, and um, and I think I think you know I, I hope that they can I hope that they can make a lot of difference. Um, so we're definitely working on this um, and making it making it easier for people to include these foods in their diet. Fantastic. Well, that's absolutely great to hear. And thank you very much for sharing your time and your expertise with us today and um, making a very complex subject very comprehensible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. The show was hosted by our team of doctors, including Dr. Andrew Tresida, Dr. Peter Bagshaw and Dr. Sarah Coop. The show was produced by Rob Holmes Music on behalf of the NHS Somerset Integrated Care Board.